For the last 10 years about, I've been doing this project at the end of the year called the Final to End All Finals, which is a joke about World War One that none of my students get. But that's what the final's called. And like the first group of students to ever do it are now 23 or four. And it's been a tradition because it's, it's a closure to the year that gives such um, different data than what the district demands, which is a multiple choice test. And every year we just look back and it's mostly annotated lists. Like what are your five favorite things uh, that we read? Like what is the piece of writing that you're most proud of and why? It's these sort of questions that just look back at the portfolio of work we've done um, and think about it one last time uh, before we, we adjourn the class. And this year at the end, so I've demanded like maybe nine different sections. And at the end, um, I offered my students a day to brainstorm what one more section might be. And then each group brainstormed a possibility and then individually they could select from that list. And what I'm really interested in is one of my classes offered a top five mistakes that they've made in their 10th grade year list. And then a number of students chose that. Um, and it was such an interesting thing because it means I read through, for most students, about an eight or nine pages of like them bragging on the work they've done and thinking about uh, how they've changed as readers and writers and participants in a classroom. And then I get to the end and I, I read this list of five things that they wish they had done differently. And it really ranged. Sometimes it was about how they did remote work, learning at home. Sometimes it was about uh, the friendships that they had or how, how they participated in class. So there are all of these really different and interesting um, annotations to their final. And what it made me think about is uh, that they're, they're picking up the things they want to do differently in the future. Um, I know that generally as a teacher, I try and focus on the positive, but this was this really interesting moment where students were naming what they'd done wrong and what was wrong about it. Um, and my hope is that it prepared them to do things differently. Um, and I tell you this story because for me, it really connected with a conversation that we'd had in Twig just a week before we started um, and I was reading through this day. Um, and I think for me, what it was is that we talked about food trucks and how they have to be so responsive and they have to have such a narrow menu. And this really forces them to attend to their work in a specific way, uh, different than any restaurant. And what my students listing and discussing, discussing their mistakes made me realize is that that's an integral part of the process for a food truck and for a student. Um, and so I was thinking about that video uh, that we had watched and discussed in Twig and thinking about how uh, important it is that we identify those mistakes and air them out and then uh, move forward. Um, so that's what I was thinking about as, as I was reading my, my students' finals this week. Thanks for sharing your story, Nick. I'm sure it's going to give us a lot to talk about today. 
Yeah, uh, I'm excited about it. I think your story is a great lead-in to the discussion of this week's essential question, what is central to the design processes of our instructional routines? Hi, I'm Jody Braun, joined by Nick Darlington, and this is the TwigCast. Yeah, I'm excited about it. So this sets us up for uh, this week's uh, question that we're exploring, um, which is what is central to our design process of our instructional routines? So I'm Jody Braun, uh, joined by Nick Darlington, and uh, this is the TwigCast. So Nick, when you were talking about uh, the idea of the, the preparation and process for food trucks um, that actually um, connects directly to a class I'm currently finishing um, that is um, using, um, you know, the guided inquiry model. Okay, and um, they mentioned the, the process of mapping and using um, the, the food prep idea that, you know, chefs really plan backwards and think deeply about everything that they need to do in order to anticipate those problems and mistakes. And so that was something that you pointed out in your story was how students are reflecting on those mistakes, but how does that work into your planning as a teacher? Are those things that we can anticipate and um, work through, or are they things that we should let students work through and um, learn on their own? It's a great question. And your question makes me think of the first Thanksgiving I spent in college where my roommate and I were like, we're gonna cook a big Thanksgiving meal and invite all our friends over. Um, <laughs> and like we knew how to cook each of the dishes, but in this tiny apartment in Missoula, we had no idea how to organize our time in a way where everything would be warm and ready just as our friends arrived. And it was such a mess. It was so chaotic and stressful. And so I think that the timing and everything is really important uh, when we think about that. But I also think it's our responsibility as teachers to do our best to anticipate the sort of shortcomings or the sort of problems that might exist. Um, and that's just about knowing your students and knowing the discipline well, and that's really tricky. I also think it's about like being awake to the moments because we can make our best laid plans and there's still going to be these surprises um, with the genre or with what you're reading or writing um, or with like skill gaps. You know, there's always going to be those surprises that we need to be uh, aware of and looking for. But I do think that um, anticipating is, is a key aspect for teachers. Yeah, I totally agree. It's um, the idea that, you know, we can be uh, as proactive as we can, but still be flexible. But um, to, like you say, uh, mention where students um, are going to probably struggle or that there are going to be, um, you know, um, pushback or whatever it may be. Um, and as you mentioned, it comes from 
knowing your students, but also just really um, organizing uh, around the the most important skills um, and of whatever discipline you're working in, I think. So, um, which is difficult, but I think, as you mentioned, the, the timing is also um, difficult to anticipate sometimes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I also think that this conversation, it brings me back to uh, the question that we talked about in the TWIG session, which was what is uh, central to our design process, instructional routines. And I think that what was interesting about our conversation is we tried and each of us had a different answer, which is correct and good, but to really focus on what's central. You know, like I'm afraid that a teacher would be in this conversation and think they need to plan for every possible uh, like straying every possible like downfall of the unit, which I don't think is the calling. Like, yes, it's good to think about those things, but our conversation was about like what's central, like what are the non-negotiable um, things that we hope for uh, in learning? And I think yeah. that's an important distinction. Absolutely. And I think that's what should be really driving our instruction overall is what are those, like you say, the non-negotiable learning outcomes or um, objectives that um, that we that every student must come away with and um, so what are the steps that we need to take in order to ensure that like minimum um, so part of that is knowing that you know we might not get as far as we would hope on certain things but if every student can manage to um, use uh, a variety of evidence in multiple ways. You know, that might be like one learning outcome in a research unit that is that every student has to be able to do. And so I, I agree that there's, um, you know, you can't necessarily anticipate um, every detail all the time. No, not <laughs> at all. And get lost in those weeds. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that another thing that was really interesting about our conversation um, is that it pointed out to me that we, it sounds like every teacher is focusing on the learning, um, but for each of us, a way to get there is different. Like there's a different central piece that either evidences that learning or that makes that learning possible. And so it was really interesting to talk to teachers and hear just this range of values and of methods uh, that get us there. And so I was really enjoying uh, reviewing that list and thinking about all the different sort of uh, venues and, and strategies that we can use to make sure that we're achieving whatever whatever we want in our, in our unit. And um, that makes me think about the idea of our, how we formatively assess, you know, whether it's, uh, what kind of um, formative um, data that we're going to get from our students, or also just you know giving assessing our own um, uh, learning continuums, you know, as teachers, like where are my students at, and what am I doing um, to help or hinder their processes. Um, so I think you know that self reflection from students and you know me as a teacher is something that 
um, I value a lot as well and try to um, go back to as a guide when you're, when you're in it, <laughs> you know, the, the planning process, you try to set up for that, but sometimes you've got to um, adjust and reflect where you're at too. Yeah, absolutely. And I also think, I mean, it's the end of the 2020, 2021 school year for a lot of us. Um, you know, it's like, it's that last stretch of time. And so I think that it's really, for teachers who are in this cyclical year, um, I think that it's the end of a chapter and that signifies a time to really look back, just like my students were doing and sort of like naming and evaluating what had happened and really like putting words to um, the sort of things that we can learn from our own experiential learning um, as teachers. And so I think that it's really, it's an interesting time to be doing that. And I also think it's a really hopeful time to be doing that um, because uh, as, we, as we close a rough year, it feels very hopeful to be li like listing the things that we liked about our year and the things that we wanna carry forward. Like, I think that's a very hopeful act for people to be doing right now. Absolutely, and that, that you know, just having the mindset that you know, this whole year wasn't a loss. Like there are things that um, we, that I've learned and I can apply to my future teaching and that I will apply to my future teaching, whether it's, you know, the amount of technology that we're having to use now. Um, but yeah, looking at it as, you know, there's only one way to go and that's up. <laughs> or, yeah. that, you know, um, you know, if this year is, you know, the, the, <laughs> the hardest, most difficult uh, year to, to teach in and learn in, um, given the circumstances, then it is very hopeful to, to look at it that way. Um, and um, so my question to you is, what is one um, central hope for planning for next year now that we're winding down? Like, what is one thing that you're going to take away from um, this year and, and really think about um, designing your process for next year? Mm. Um, <clears throat> a thing that I'm most excited about is in my, in my classroom, I really embrace the idea that all learning happens in relationship. Um, and so uh, both my relationship to students is key and then students' relationships to each other is key and both of those inform their learning in such important ways, I hope. And I think that that was one of the biggest struggles with this year as we had smaller classes um, and face masks and just seeing each other twice a week. It just felt like it took so long for students to know each other and so long for them to know me in a way that benefited their education. Um, so I think, I think all the activities that build relationship and build the sort of academic conversation uh, that I'm used to, and all those that uh, expedite that process, um, those are what I really wanna focus on um, because I think that those are what, uh, 
I've tried to embrace, but seen students struggle with this year and what I really want to embrace moving forward. And I would uh, say all those things are true as my situation and my students as well, that it's definitely been uh, unpredictable and our schedule um, having half the students at a time, only a quarter at a time um, has definitely uh, made us struggle with build, just building classroom culture. It's been, um, so that's, I would say that's how I'm gonna approach it. It's like, yeah, I'm gonna double down on uh, building that um, culture of, you know, thinking partnerships and that we're all learners, you know, I'm a learner, I'm learning with you. And we can all, um, uh, you know, develop this um, high-level um, academic learning environment that um, of that's based on trust and uh, and understanding and empathy, and um, that's definitely something that I think has been missing from our school as well in my classroom. So, absolutely. And you saying that makes me think um, sort of a, two comments uh, that were made in the conversation. And one of the strategies I've been thinking about, Patty mentioned it, is low stake sharing. Um, because I'm a teacher that I, I often don't just randomly call on students. Um, I, I feel like my, my mode is mostly partner conversation or whole class conversation. I don't create enough space for students to do low stake sharing of their writing at a couple of different levels and one of those being with the whole class. Um, and I think that's a real missed opportunity and it's trust building and it's like building a culture of writing and sharing that writing and thinking about each other's writing. There's so many advantages to Patty's suggestion and I, I think it's a thing I really wanna start doing. Um, and then also Maribeth, uh, who's an elementary teacher, was talking about how she celebrates kids. And I was just like, this is a thing that I attempt to do, but I wait until um, I wait until the end of something. I wait until the end of the quarter or the end of the semester. Um, and I don't ritualize it enough. Um, so that's another thing that I want to be thinking about um, as I move forward. Those are both things that I want to work on as well. Um, especially, you know, I've been trying to share my own writing with my students more often, as, even like the assignments that I'm giving, like they don't believe me that I'm, yeah, I actually did write a version of this <laughs> essay. Is like, no, I'm like, yeah, I took the time to see, you know, that I am writing with you. Um, and I, and I'm, my hope is that they will, um, be more willing to engage in that low stake well that it's not that we're not uh, you know judging our writing we're using it as models for each other and looking at um, what moves we're making and choices we're making as writers so um, i think that's a really great idea yeah i'm excited for next year All right, well, 
Thanks for joining me, Nick. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, it's been fun to talk through these ideas with you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the TwigCast. To stay tuned and find out more, visit us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or visit our website at twig.fun. Until next time, continue to find joy in writing.